parking lots empty. The seats vacant. Get your beer here. Ice cold beer. It's here. Get your beer. Uh, no one's here. Just open one for myself. Don't mind if I do. But finally, the words we've all been waiting to hear. It's almost opening day. Yelich, two strikes. The pitch. Hit in the air to deep center. Way back. Get up. Get out of here. Gone for Kristen Yelich. This is the Brewers' countdown to opening day special. Our preview of lineups, rotations, and all things Brewers. And now, batting lead off, here's your host, Pat Pauley. A good evening. Welcome into the program. Three full hours looking forward to what the 2021 Brewers might just look like. We got a lot of folks who are going to give us uh, their thoughts on the team as well. This hour, uh, Jeff Levering and Tim Dillard are scheduled to join us, and uh, we will be joined by a number of folks over the course of the next three hours. Also, a conversation later this hour between our own Greg Matzik and Christian Yelich. That's going to be coming up. If you want to get involved in the program, multiple ways to do so. Do so, excuse me. You can call or text into the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That's 855 616 1620. One six twenty. Find me on Twitter at Matt Pauley on air. M a t t p a u l e y on air. Let me just start with this. Uh, you could put me under the umbrella of people who are very optimistic about this team going in. Now, here's the thing: any baseball team that has an opportunity to be a playoff team, be a division winner, be a team that's going to make a run in the playoffs, every single one of those teams. They have to have a lot of things go right. Over the course of a 162-game season, a lot of stuff can go wrong. A lot of stuff can go right. Now, one of the the beautiful things about baseball is because it is 162 games, you you can have some stumbles through the year. You can have some adversity. You can have some things that don't quite go right, and you still have time to recover. But when we take a step back and take a more broad look at the entire season... A lot of things need to go right for you for everything to work out. And there might not be any team that that is more true for than the Brewers. Because for the Brewers to be good, a lot of things that happened last year in a 60-game season can't happen this year. Are you sick of, are you absolutely sick of yet hearing people like me and other people use the word bounce back? Because it's... It has been the word of the last few months, the entire offseason. Really, the entire Brewers 2021 season is contingent upon a number of players bouncing back after having rough years last year. Now, I haven't dropped this in a while. This is one of my favorite statistics to make reference to from last year. I said it over and over and over at the end of last season. Haven't said it in a while, but it illustrates a point. Last year, the Brewers had their worst hitting season in franchise history. They have never had a worse season than what they had last season hitting, and they were second in the National League Central in hitting. Second in the National League Central in hitting in their worst year ever. What does that tell you? That tells you that you can throw out last year that everybody had offensive issues for the most part. Uh, We're going to talk about this coming up later on. We're not going to be completely Brewers-focused, 
Uh, in our final hour, we're going to uh, kind of jump around the National League Central a little bit. Same thing happened in Chicago with the Cubs, where they've got a bunch of guys, and, they, and a, a, a lot of them are still there, who had just horrendous seasons last year offensively. Why? Because it was a weird year, because there were no fans in the stands, because everything about last year, right now, to me, it doesn't mean a whole lot. I think it is reasonable to expect Christian Yelich to bounce back. I think it's reasonable to expect um, Omar Narvaez to bounce back. I think it's reasonable to expect Avisail Garcia to, to bounce back. I think it's somewhat reasonable to expect Keston Hira to kind of get back on the track he had been before. Now, one thing I'm a big believer in is track record. And I I really stand by track record when it comes to baseball players. So if a guy has a bad year and he's somebody who doesn't have a track record, I'm not as willing to be as confident that they are going to have that, that bounce back. Where if you're somebody like a Christian Yelich, where if you're somebody like an Omar Narvaez, who has has had very good offensive success in their major league career, I'm I'm willing to jump on that and say they're going to be able to repeat it. So that's the only reason I pumped the brakes a little bit with Keston Hira. Hira was on the track. Hira had never, had absolutely never struggled from an offensive standpoint, basically at, at any stop of his baseball career. And he had some struggles last year. So him, I think he's going to be fine. I really do. But he's the one guy that we're kind of talking about here that doesn't really have the track record. Now, there is an expectation. We're going to talk later on this hour about Orlando Arcia. Arcia has not had has not had a good spring uh, from, a, from an offensive standpoint. And he's been challenged a bit. Once again, that's been the storyline when it comes to his career, being challenged to earn his playing time. And sometimes it feels like, he has to be challenged, that that's almost something that the organization has to do. And early on in his career, the challenges came in the form of maybe taking him out of the lineup for a few days, sending him down to AAA. Now the challenges come in the form of bringing somebody else in that can play the position or pushing you over to third base, whatever it might be. But it does feel like challenges putting a challenge in front of Orlando Arcia is something that the organization attempts to do as much as they can and I think they believe he responds to challenges and that's why that's why they do it from a pitching standpoint top of the rotations about as good as it gets in the National League there aren't many teams that bring out a Brandon Woodruff and a Corbin Burns one two I do think there's question marks behind that I feel pretty comfortable with Brett Anderson um, but after that we're still waiting for Adrian Hauser to take that next step and be a consistent guy. We're seeing if Freddie Peralta can be the guy that he's been in spring. And this is a brand new Freddie Peralta. This is not fastball Freddie anymore. This is a guy who can throw really three pitches very effectively. It's the slider that he's added in this year that could completely change who he is. So throughout his major league career, there has been no consistency when it comes to him being a starter. At times... I've always said this about Peralta. I've always felt like he's got the highest ceiling because his stuff is incredible. But if that fastball wasn't perfect, and not every pitcher is perfect every single time out, on those days that the fastball was less than perfect, he was a whole lot less than perfect. Does that change now because 
He can throw that slider. He's got other pitches that he's able to use. And where do the other starting pitchers, Josh Lindblom, who's going to be in the starting rotation sooner than later, but will begin the season in the bullpen? Uh, uh, how many starts does a Brent Suter get? Is Do they have some bullpen games thrown in there with a Drew Rasmussen? How often are they going to go to that alternate training side and then eventually the AAA team to bring guys up to make starts in a year where you're coming off a 60-game season to a 162-game season this year and what you can ask of starting pitchers? Because you can't ask a guy who threw 60-70 innings last year to throw 200 innings this year. You just can't. Can you ask him to throw 150? I don't know. That's You're more than doubling innings pitched from last year to this year. If If you do that and they get injured, you're kicking yourself. And and everybody can sit there and say, well, look, you rode this guy too hard. You knew this was going to happen. And that's of every storyline, and this is not Brewer-specific, of every storyline to watch throughout the 2021 campaign across all of Major League Baseball, it's going to be how teams are handling the starting pitching, I guess relief pitching too to a certain extent, but how they're handling the starting pitching and the workload that they are allowing starting pitchers to handle. That's going to be, it's, it's, it's not going to be an easy thing to kind of juggle throughout the course of the year. And there's going to be times where there are very important games that are being played and for the good of, of certain individual pitchers, maybe you're going to be skipping a guy. Maybe you're going to be bringing somebody up from AAA. Maybe you're going to be going with a bullpen game. Maybe you're going to pull a guy after three or four innings because he threw. He had a 35-pitch inning, was able to battle through, but threw 35 pitches in an inning, and his pitch count had been up here in, in a couple recent starts. And after two, three innings, and the third inning, he throws 35 pitches, and you just say, you know what? This is, this is where it's got to stop. We can't push him any further today. Those are questions, and those are moments, and those are decisions that are going to be made all season long, and it's going to be worth taking a look at. Brewers open up their season coming up on Thursday. We will have full-day coverage here on uh, on WTMJ, and uh, look forward to uh, certainly being able to bring that to you. And, of course, uh, I will have you for uh, Brewers extra innings throughout the course of the season following games on WTMJ as well. If you want to join the program, you can do so, 855-616-1620. That's 855-616-1620, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You can also tweet at me, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. When we return, we're going to dive into the Brewers' infield situation because in some ways it feels more secure. You have Colton Wong. He's going to be at second base. Keston here is going to be at first base. Travis Shaw is back. But in other ways... It feels like you don't really know who's going to be starting on the infield on any given day outside of Wong at second. Here has got to bounce back offensively. Who's really going to be the shortstop? How often is Shaw going to play at third? You can really take either of those avenues that I just mentioned. So we're going to talk about that. And also Brewers radio broadcaster Jeff Levering is set to join us. That's all coming up next as we continue to count down to opening day. You're listening to Countdown to Opening Day. This is the Countdown to Opening Day. Brewers. 
Brewers open up the season on Thursday when they are going to take on the Minnesota Twins off day on Friday, and then they'll continue the series over the course of the weekend. WTMJ is your home for Brewers baseball, and of course you hear on many of the broadcasts. He's actually going to be splitting uh, time a little bit this year, doing uh, some more television work, but you'll hear him a lot on the radio broadcast. It is Brewers radio broadcaster Jeff Levering. We're very happy to be able to uh, welcome him on to the program, Jeff. Are you ready? Things getting going on Thursday. Oh yeah, man! I can't wait, Matt. This is—it's uh, an exciting time, and uh, at the beginning of spring training, you sit here and you go, "Man, I'm going to be down here for a month." And you're all excited, and then the middle of spring training hits, and you kind of get into what are the dog days of spring training. Uh, and then once you get a week away, then the adrenaline starts kicking in. I think this year is more anticipation than any year before, just because of, of everything that happened in 2020. There's a lot of excitement going through the organization right now with the, the signings of Colt Wong and Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, there's just a lot of enthusiasm. I think these guys are ready to, to get going on Thursday. The word normalcy is something we use a lot. And compared to two years ago, it certainly is not normal. But compared to last year, it's a lot closer to normal. Does it feel that way? Yeah, it does. And, and I think that all starts with the fans. Um just having some semblance of fans in the ballpark during these spring training games has really been a savior. Um, and I think when fans get to Milwaukee and American Family Field on opening day, um, it's going to feel a little bit more normal, too. And I know it's 25% capacity and, and hopefully growing as the season continues. Uh, but even just having some fans at the ballpark is going to give a little extra juice to the players, broadcasters, to everybody. And seeing some of your old friends you know, even down here in the spring, seeing some some broadcasters that, that we haven't seen in two years um, is has been great. So, and I think that just having the fans um, is really really going to make a big difference. Is uh, Kent setting up a cuss jar inside the booth uh, so you guys uh, say American Family Field this year? <laughs> no, he hasn't set that up yet. But we did have one on the television side, Rock. Uh, Bill Schroeder was having a really hard time staying in American Family Field early on in spring training on our TV broadcast. Um, so we actually have a, a pretty good one going right now um, on the on the TV side. I am still um, uh, without fine, so that's good. Um, but Rock certainly has a few on the television side, and I think Brian Anderson has a couple too. Well, on the TV side, you're doing double duty, not only American Family Field, but you're going to have to work in Bally Sports Wisconsin as well. Yeah, it, it is. It's a different uh, different situation. We're going to get some new wardrobe stuff too, new polos. So it's uh, I'm interested to see what what all that turns out to be, and hopefully they're going to be in some Brewers colors. But yeah, making making the switch a little bit, doing uh, half the games essentially at home on the TV side, uh, filling in for Brian Anderson when he can't do those home games because he's stepping away and doing different stuff. But it's Hey, listen, if, I, if I'm just learning to say different things, that's, that's a really, really good thing. At least we, we have something to talk about in yeah. terms of baseball. Uh, you mentioned earlier that the acquisitions of Colton Wong and Jackie Bradley Jr., the team brings back Brett Anderson. It, it's a division where the Cardinals made the Nolan Arenado move, but outside of that, uh, you, could, you could easily make the argument that Wong and Bradley are as big of acquisitions as almost anything that happened in the division this year. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, the Cubs certainly didn't do a lot. Now their core was still pretty good and intact, especially in their infield position. 
Um, but they're pitching. They're starting pitching basically is the, the same type of person one through five. Um, the Brewers bring Brett Anderson back and kind of get the band back together on the mound and, and provide a little bit more depth. The Reds are trying to cut payroll. Uh, you mentioned the Cardinals too, but I, I think that this the Pirates are, are it's clearly in a different position with what they want to do, getting rid of Josh Bell. But I, I think the Brewers adding the talent they did with Colton Wong and Jackie Bradley Jr., the run prevention group that they have, the offense that they can provide, the leadership in the clubhouse to go along with Lorenzo Kane and Christian Yelich. Um, you know, I know both of those guys personally. I had both of them in the minor leagues. I had Colton Wong in Double A in Springfield, Missouri, with the Cardinals in 2012 when he was just drafted. And I had Jackie Bradley Jr. in 2013 in Pawtucket with the Red Sox. Both um, amazing human beings, um, great clubhouse guys. And, and Craig Council said it about Manny Pini the other day. Like you look at him, and it feels like he never has a bad day. Those two guys never have bad days either. It's it's interesting because I, I feel like the Brewers are as good as any organization in baseball in finding guys who fit into the clubhouse. Good ball players, but also fit in the clubhouse. And it seems like those two guys definitely fill that category. No doubt about that. And and it took zero time for them to, to assimilate quickly. And for Colton, he knew all these guys, having been a Cardinal and played against a lot of these Brewers players over the last few years. Uh, but for Jackie, who hadn't played against the Brewers since 2017 or 2018, whenever the Red Sox last played the, the Brewers, he didn't know a whole lot of them. A uh, handful of guys from the American League, but he jumped into that clubhouse. And from what I've been told, it was an immediate, hey, guys, let's get to work. Let's, let's get this thing done. Um, there wasn't any animosity with anybody. and it, it was just perfect assimilation for both of those guys fitting into this group. To begin the season, it seems like Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, Brett Anderson really fit in to the rotation and guys that you kind of know what you're going to get out of them. Still waiting to see Adrian Hauser find that level of consistency. Freddie Baralta's had a, had a great spring, but he doesn't have that track record. You've got other guys who are going to make starts, whether it's a Josh Lindblom and Eric Lauer or Brent Suter, like just a ton of guys. Are you, are you intrigued by what's kind of ha- going to happen with the rotation and how they're going to utilize those different guys through the course of the season? Yeah, I am curious to see not just the Brewers, but just all of Major League Baseball. This is this is the year where your depth as an organization is going to be tested like no other, and, and everybody's talking about it. But how how do you go from say Brandon Woodruff, who threw seventy five plus innings last year? How do you go from that to you can't ask him to throw two hundred innings this season. You can barely ask him to throw one hundred and forty mm-hmm. this year uh, because that's doubling the production. Uh, of what he did a year ago, and then that could potentially lead to some other problem, uh, problematic things. But I, I think that, that the Brewers have a good plan. I think most organizations have a decent plan, but um, the, the amount of arms that they have to cover these innings, you're going to see a six-man rotation at some point during the season. You're going to see these guys get skipped and starts a handful of times um, just to make sure that down the stretch, when you really need these guys to be at their best, that they are, and, and if it means going a week or two without throwing a pitch in a major league game, then that's what you're going to do. And, and I think that that the Brewers do have a good plan, um, and they're just going to trust these players. They're going to trust their medical staff, and um, and hopefully, and hopefully, it all works out. I was thinking about this the other day because when you really look at the infield, 
Colton Wong's an everyday guy at second base, but shortstop Orlando Arcia, Luis Orias at third base, Travis Shaw uh, and, and Orlando Arcia at first base. Hopeful that Keston Hira uh, gets that bat going to where it was earlier, but he could uh, give up some time to Travis Shaw at first, to Daniel Vogelbach, Daniel Robertson's in the mix, a number of those positions. It really feels like on any given day, it could be a very different looking infield. Yeah, it could. Um, and, and I know that they're just going to ride hot bats to whatever, whatever guy is swinging the bat the best at whatever position is going to get a lot of playing time, uh, say for Colton Wong, because Wong is the best defensive second baseman they've got. So he's going to be in there a lot. I think Orlando Arcee, who's had a, a admittedly tough spring offensively, Urias is starting to swing the bat a little bit better. Um, those two guys are going to get a lot of playing time. And as long as Shaw hits, he's going to play, especially against right-handed pitching, which there's a ton of in the, in the central division. Um, Shaw's going to get a lot of playing time at third base. Um, the first base is the big question mark. And Keston here has looked a lot better over there defensively as spring training has progressed. Uh, but again, he's got a hit. He's got a hit. He can't have a, a similar season to like he did last year where, yes, he had 13 home runs and led the team in home runs. Um, but he just wasn't the same guy. And what he's done over the last 10 days in camp has been very, very positive to see. But you want to make sure you get at bats for Daniel Vogelback too, because you can see what he did in the month of September a year ago, and hopefully that comes to fruition again. You got you got options, you got combinations, you got righties, you got lefties. Like it's great that they have options. I think the Brewers have have always done such a good job of having options. Um, one of the best teams in Major League Baseball at at having depth and versatile type players. All right, Jeff. Great stuff. We'll uh, we'll see you at the ballpark on Thursday. Can't wait, Matt. Thanks for the time. Jeff Levering join us here on Countdown to Opening Day. A little bit more on that infield situation. Because it's, it, it, feels, it felt like when Colton Wong was acquired that kind of everything else would fall into uh, position. But really, there is a lot of movable parts there. Travis Shaw has to hit. Travis Shaw has to. It's not so much a bounce back for him because really if you look at his numbers that he had in Toronto, those numbers play. If he repeats what he did last year, he doesn't have to get back to who he was his first two years with the Brewers. He has to be better than who he was his final season with the Brewers. If he is close to what he was last year, that's going to be that's going to be perfectly fine. You can platoon him a little bit, and obviously Orlando Arcia is going to be in the mix because at shortstop, it really feels like this team is going to give Luis Urias every opportunity to play there. I, It feels like Urias is going to be the guy when the season gets started at shortstop. I uh, got a got a tweet about this, and if you want to tweet at me, or, or you can call, text eight five five six one six one six twenty. It's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, or you can tweet at me at Matt Pauley on air, M A T T P A U L E Y on air. At Brew Crew Scott uh, sent a message on, on Twitter asking me why uh, I was so high on Orlando Arcia, especially when it comes to his defense, and he actually sent along the FanGraphs link where it shows what Arcia does defensively. And when you just look at those numbers, yeah, he's the numbers say he's not spectacular at shortstop. My response to that would be, it feels like at times with Arcia, he goes into these ruts for whatever reason, and that goes back to what we were talking about earlier in this show, where it also feels like the team is, con- is constantly trying to challenge him. But the eye test says, and I know you know you get in trouble sometimes with the eye test. I, I realize that, but the eye test tells you that when Orlando Arcia is at his best, 
He is as good of a defensive shortstop out there, and we've seen him be able to have an impact bat as well. Uh, Keston here at first base, there's no guarantee that all that's going to work. You, it was announced that Daniel Vogelbach's going to make the opening day roster. Nothing's guaranteed beyond opening day. Daniel Robertson's on this roster. You can have Shaw at first if he's not playing third. There's just so many moving parts. Uh, it's a good thing in the sense that you can go with the hot hand on any given day. But I would also argue at this point that it doesn't feel like, outside of Colton Wong at second base, that you are assured of having a true everyday guy at any of those positions. Probably Keston here at first base would be the second most likely. Tim Dillard recently retired as a professional baseball player. He was in camp with the Rangers once again. He actually throws his final professional pitch with the Milkman last year. He has now joined the uh, TV crew for the Brewers, and uh, we'll talk to him about that and what he expects out of this Brewers team. A conversation with Tim Dillard on the way next as we continue to count down to opening day. Grab your pine tar and stick around. The countdown to opening day continues. Welcome back to our countdown to opening day. We do count down to opening day. A guy that you're going to be seeing on TV a fair amount this year, former Brewers pitcher Tim Dillard. He has uh, certainly become also known beyond as a baseball player, what he has done on social media. Just a fun guy, and we're very happy to uh, welcome him on uh, to the program. Newest member of the Brewers TV broadcast crew, freshly, freshly, freshly retired as a player. He embarks on this TV analyst career. Hey, Tim, thanks for taking some time. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Freshly retired. I feel like produce. You know, like <laughs> I feel crisp and ready. <laughs> can you um take me through that process a little bit? Because you were you were with the club, and then you announced the retirement, and shortly thereafter, the announcement was made about you joining uh, the Brewers TV broadcast. But uh, what was the, that's a big change for you? You you played baseball for a really long time. Take me through that process and uh, the decision to do what you're doing. Yeah, I've always I've been looking to try to find something after baseball for about eight years, nine years. <laughs> um, but I kept getting a job playing, which is good. But, you know, I was trying to hone some skills. I didn't know what was going to be next and uh, was actually, as of about three weeks ago, throwing bullpens, getting ready for minor league camp April 1st with the uh, Texas Rangers. So, you know, I was still in the in the thick of it not long ago and got a call from um, you know, um, I guess it's Bally Sports Wisconsin now. And they're like, hey, we're considering, you know, you doing pre and post game. What do you think? And I was like, done, I'll do it. Hmm. And they're like, we're going to pay you in Taco Bell gift cards. And I was like, absolutely, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> and that was basically it. They were like, are you, okay? you know, are you okay retiring? I was like, no, this is great. My wife's been trying to get me retired for a decade. So I was like, this would be great. And um, they were like, are you okay being away from family for six months? I was like, well, I've kind of been doing that for the last, you know, my whole career. Uh, with traveling and stuff with baseball. So, yeah, I mean, it was an easy decision. It's it's a great opportunity. I couldn't pass it up. Did you always have this as something you wanted to do when you got done playing baseball? Was being an analyst still being involved in the game, whether in media somehow, something you always wanted to do? I think even at an early age, you know, just watching WGN, that's about the only channel we had. I, I think I wanted to be Harry Carey before I actually wanted to be a baseball player. <laughs> like, I just... I loved how he would translate what was happening to the fans. He made it exciting. And I don't know. I've, 
I, I find baseball really exciting. And I know that not everybody always shares that, right? It's like those blowout games where it's 20 to one, but like there's baseball is great. And so for me, I just, I don't know whether I'm sitting in a bullpen or I'm sitting at a desk. I just want to translate baseball as fun as I can to everybody around me. So, yeah, I mean, I, I always felt like maybe I could do this, uh, but I had the opportunity last last summer. I did two games against the Reds where I was actually on TV doing the color analyst. And uh, and it was really fun. And I, and I didn't do too bad. Like people were like, hey, you didn't you didn't do too bad. So <laughs> that's like the ultimate thing. Like, oh, you didn't do that bad. I'm like, oh, that's perfect. So. Yeah, it was. It's 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 where I want to be. You um, and you're you're in Milwaukee, and you're so connected to this organization. Even though most recently you weren't playing in the organization, big league time, minor league time. I, I feel like the the Brewers fan base maybe adores you more than other fan bases. I, I think you would probably agree with that. What does it mean to you to be doing this in Milwaukee with the Brewers? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, my first interaction with the Brewers comes from, uh, after a high school game in 2001, uh, when I was a senior. So that was the first time I met a Brewer scout and they drafted me that year, drafted me the next year, both times as a catcher. I signed in 2003 and yeah, spent 16 years with them. And even when I was technically not with the Brewers, I still kind of was. I always found myself in Milwaukee somehow <laughs> doing, you know, whatever. And uh, even up to the last summer when uh, when everything kind of got banged as far as minor league and uh, baseball. And I ended up playing with the Milwaukee Milkmen, who, who uh, the American Association independent ball team. So, yeah, it's like for whatever reason, I don't know. It's just like a magnet bringing me back. So, hey, it lucked up because, I mean, now I, I know the coaches, I know the players and I get to talk about them. So I can't wait. Yeah, what, so what your last professional pitch thrown with the Milkmen, right? Yeah, I think it ended up over the fence. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm actually not joking. Um, yeah, I gave up like a three run homer in the, uh, in the championship. We had a chance to clinch uh, out of a seven game series. I pitched game four and I gave it up, but we won the next game. So that was, but yeah, I, I didn't even think about that until right when you said that. So, what, yeah. Uh. Other than the throwing that pitch, what was your experience like playing for the Milkman? Oh, it was great. It was great. Uh, anytime you can play baseball in any capacity, it's, it's awesome. And I, you know, some of those guys, a couple of my knew, a lot of my didn't. So, you know, I was interacting with different people and getting to know new catchers, new first basemen, and I don't know, just a new team and that freshness. And we played on a turf field. That was the first time I'd ever played on like an all turf field. Even the mound was turf. Um, we traveled, we played in Chicago, we played in South Dakota. I think South Dakota. I don't think it was, maybe it was North Dakota. Anyway, we played somewhere up there. I'd never played baseball. Didn't even know they had baseball there, right? On a professional scale. So um, the, the places I got to go and the people I got to, to meet, um, it was it was great. It was a fun experience. People have a very hard time understanding what independent ball is, but it's basically a bunch of people that love baseball playing as hard as they can. So it's a definitely a fun watch. It, it's different when you move into the booth or the desk, whatever you want to call it, but you're still going to be at the ballpark when the pandemic is over. You're going to be able to be in the clubhouse and around guys. How much of that is what attracts you to this? Because you're you're truly still going to be around the game on an everyday basis. Yeah, I don't know how much interaction I'm going to have with the players per se. Um, I mean, they haven't really given. It sounds like you know they're trying to minimize all that, right? They got all these protocols in place, uh, but I've already been texting with guys and Twitter messaging guys. <laughs> 
I don't care if I have to sit in the stands during batting practice and yell at them, you know, from, you know, when they're on the field and I'm up in the stands, that's okay. I'll yell at them and talk to them and get to, you know, see what's going on with their everyday lives. But um, yeah, I've always said you, you want to be close to the big leagues. It doesn't matter how you get there. It doesn't matter what it looks like, but the big leagues is where it's at. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. What um, you, you mentioned earlier, how you, looked up to Harry Carey and how he made how he connected what when it comes to connecting with the fans and being able to share your love for baseball and and maybe more importantly hope that you can help other people find that love for baseball what what does that look like for you well, when I was mainly in the minor leagues, you said I had big league time and minor league time, but it's like a one, it's like a 90 to 10% ratio, uh, actually less than that, man, I'm bad at fractions. I better go get my son. Um, no, I played 18 seasons. I got about one year in the big leagues and 17 in the minor leagues. So there, but the, the minor leagues gets kind of a negative connotation at times, you know, people, oh, you don't want to be in the minor leagues. You'd rather be in the big leagues. It's like, yeah, but it's a necessary thing. You have to be there. You have to learn your craft and be ready for the big leagues. And, you know, a lot of times it's, it's filled with guys that are negative. Oh, I should be in the big leagues, you know, and, and it, it kind of portrays that way. And I wanted to show people with videos and social media and just interacting with the fans that no, any clubhouse is a great club. Like you want to be in a clubhouse. You want to be in baseball. I want to show that kid that's, you know, watching at home on TV or maybe he's following me on Twitter or whatever. I want to show them how amazing and fun baseball is. Like, sure, it's hard, but like at the same time, it is that much fun and it's worth all the work you put into it. So I don't know. I'm just trying to you know, do what... <laughs> I grew up watching. I loved baseball, and now it's you can connect more now than ever. And I just kind of want to bridge that gap as much as possible. You really have a a cult following because of the the videos and the different social media stuff that you do. When you when you first like entered that world, did you ever have any clue what it might turn into? You know, I I didn't even care really. You know, I didn't even think about it. I was more along the lines of of seeing the camaraderie with the guys that we had. You know, when you get five or six guys together and we're like trying to make this video that's, you know, 10 seconds long and it's absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, guys have like, you know, bats for guitars. And, you know, one video I was wearing cowboy boots that I stole from Michael Reed, our uh, right fielder. So and they were like three sizes too small and I'm trying not to break them. And he's in the dugout laughing and I get a grounds crew guy to film this video. And I got another teammate up behind me on the dugout and we're doing Brooks and Dunn, you know, like. <laughs> my maria you know and it just that kind of stuff it's just so bizarre and it honestly has nothing to do with baseball but it has everything to do with baseball and so it was so much fun for us and i didn't know if anybody was going to like the videos or not like i said i didn't really pay attention to that too much because we were having so much fun i wish i would have had a camera for all these videos to see how much fun that we had behind the scenes because um i'm, I'm it makes you wonder why most people don't do this at their workplace i mean maybe it's not appropriate i don't know <laughs> Bunch of sales guys walking in and setting up. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, doing an anchorman skit like that's the way it should be. You know, people do trust falls or build. You know, with Legos or sandcat. It's all about that connection of coming together and doing something. Because I don't know. I still have guys text me like, "Hey man, you remember that video we made?" Or, "Hey, I posted this today because remember that it's been seven years. Can you believe that?" It's like, wow, this is so crazy. <laughs> Let's talk just a little bit of baseball before we get out of here. This this club, oh, and yeah, we'll, yeah. yeah, we'll talk baseball <laughs> from a pitching standpoint. To have a rotation that you can start off with Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns, how much do, of an advantage does this team have? You can argue that that's the best one-two punch in the division. 
Yeah. I mean, you. I think the word you're going to hear probably too much is going to be depth. I mean, I was looking at, I mean, obviously the, the starting rotation, they have about eight guys that could pitch and go deep into games, which I can't imagine there's too many teams out there that have that. Um, you look at their outfield. One of my favorite players, one of my favorite teammates is Tyrone Taylor. And it's sad, but it looks like he may be the fifth outfielder. You know, he's behind so many gold gloves and <laughs> experience. Like, that's a tough gig. Um, but it's good for the Brewers. It's maybe bad for him personally, but it's good for the Brewers. Like, they have depth all the way around, and it does. It comes back to the starting pitching. And you have a bunch of young guys that now have experience. They've seen success. They know what it smells like. They want some more of it. Um, man, I can't wait because these guys are electric. And Woodruff in particularly, I really love him. I mean, he's a Mississippi boy. I'm a Mississippi boy. Uh, Mississippi old boy, old man now, I guess. <laughs> but he has some, you know, I guess you kind of associate it with like that Texas type thing. Uh, Roger Clemens, like a competitor. You get gritty and mean, like you just don't want to get beat. And I love watching uh, uh, Woodruff pitch just because he has this, I don't want to get beat on every pitch mentality. And that's what it takes. Like That's what you get from the Nolan Ryans and the Roger Clemens. And so that's what I wanted to be. So, you know, when 2007 rolls around and me and Woodruff, when I'm his age, hopefully I'm as good as him. <laughs> what, uh, what made Tyrone Taylor one of your favorite teammates? Yeah, we were uh, locker mates for a whole season. And he just quietly did his job every single day. Like, you know, when guys are complaining, Colorado Springs, right? I mean, that's tough. You know this. <laughs> that's a tough place to play. You're like playing on the moon. Um, you know, if you dive, you're not going to recover as fast as you were if you, you know, played in New Orleans that game. So he came to the field every day ready to ready to play, prepared. He didn't make excuses, didn't, you know, complain. And I have a locker right next to him. So, like, if he does any of this stuff, I'm going to notice um, I think I got him in maybe a video or two, but he's very determined. Like he knows his craft. He knows what he, what kind of player he is. And he's doing it now, even in spring trainings, batting like 370 or something like this is what he's been doing his entire career as a player. And he was doing it at a young age. And so to me, it's just a matter of time when he gets his real shot that he's going to, you know, really open some eyes. It's not going to be like this forever for you, but right now you're at a point where there's a bunch of guys you were teammates with Taylor, Brent Suter, you, you were probably with Orlando Arcia at some point. I'm just trying to think of guys off the top of my head. There's a bunch of them that you were that you were teammates with. Is that fun that now you're you're the analyst watching these guys who were your teammates <laughs> two years ago? Yeah, they're not going to take me too seriously. No, I they the same thing with you know making social media videos, being a good teammate in the clubhouse. Like you just you, you want to root for guys. I do. I root for guys. You know, and even on other teams, I was watching a game uh, the other day and I saw a buddy on another team and I'm rooting for him because I know what kind of person that, you know, he is and I know his family and it's just sitting there going like when you have those connections and they get personal that way, you just you have a soft spot. And so I have a soft spot for all these guys. So I'm not going to go up there and bash them. There's nothing to bash. Baseball's hard. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go there and say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to make excuses for him. But, um, you know, baseball is the hardest game there is. So let's cut him some slack. You know, maybe he's played seven days in a row or maybe he dove 10 times in the outfield yesterday because a Dillard-esque person was out there pitching, uh, whatever it looks like. Um, you know, it's one of those things that you just, you just want to call it exactly what it is. You don't want to try to pretend anything. It's like, you know what, if you know a little backstory, it may help explain why something happened. And so I'm going to definitely give the benefit of the doubt. And hopefully all those guys know that. Last thing for you, when you get to Milwaukee, what's your is it is it Ooh. cops? Is it somewhere else? What's your first stop when you go and you get into Milwaukee? 
Um, well, I, I, I got a dude on Twitter hit me up, so I'm actually going to uh, crash at his house. He has a couch oh, that I'm going to sleep on okay. for at least a week or so. And then uh, I think that's in Oak Creek, and then I'll probably move over to Pewaukee. There's another gentleman on Instagram that said that I could sleep over there. He's got an extra room. So, um, you know, I got a couple places. not a big deal. I feel like Joe Dirt a little bit, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I have tons of places I want to hit up. I definitely cops is my my, my main go to. Okay. Yeah, definitely. But I'm also going to hit up Broken Bat Brewery. There probably try to hit yep. up the Bobblehead Museum. Um, got friends all over the place there, and you know I don't want to exclude anybody. I'm looking forward to seeing them all. Yeah, Tim. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you uh, at the ballpark here very very soon. Thank you for taking some time, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to uh, talk to you a bit throughout the course of the year. Yeah, we can do the uh, long-distance elbow high-five. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Tim Dillard joining us here on the countdown to opening day. Man, he's a fun guy to talk to, and uh, look forward to him being back officially with the organization now in an uh, analyst role. Look, there's at the end of the day with this team, there may be no single more important thing that can happen than a bounce back for Christian Yelich after last year. Uh, the, the the batting average just wasn't there. Are we going to see that bounce back? We'll talk about that. Plus, our Greg Matzik recently got the chance to talk with Yelich down in Arizona. That conversation is coming up in just a moment as we count down to opening day. Patience perseveres. We'll be right back with more of our countdown to opening day. We saved your seat. The best friend I ever had. This is the countdown to opening day. All week long, our own Greg Matzik was down in Arizona providing us uh, great coverage of Brewers' spring training. Got the chance to talk with the former MVP, Christian Yelich. Here's Greg with uh, Yelich earlier in the week. All right, thanks, Matt. Here with Brewers outfielder Christian Yelich. Spring training, thing of the past. Is there a point, Christian, through spring training where you realize, I'm ready for the regular season to start? Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's a different point in spring for everybody. Uh, Sometimes... It takes a little bit longer um, than other years, but I think most guys are, are ready to go and, and looking forward to, to getting things started. Nice to have an opening day in April, too, right, instead of July, and just kind of getting back to what you're used to. Yeah, it's more normal. I mean, this time last year, everybody was at home hanging out and wondering what was going to happen. So it's nice that uh, we're kind of starting at the regular time and having a regular year, and uh, I think it's something that everybody's really looking forward to. Well, and you have more of a sense for what's expected right i think when you guys came back to the park last year it was like well wait a minute what do we have to do and testing was new and places you could go that you probably shouldn't or you can't anymore just kind of get back to what you're used to i guess is you just kind of strive for that level of normal yeah i mean it's not full on back to to what we're used to i mean we still have a ton of rules and a ton of things that we're not allowed to do and things that we have to abide by and procedures and testing and protocols that we're all going through but uh, it is what it is. Hopefully at some point during the year it, uh, it loosens up and we get back to, like you said, the regular uh, routine and part of the season and, and what everybody's used to. But uh, it's definitely a step in the right direction, and it's a lot easier now that it's our second time through them instead of, uh, like you said earlier, the first time in, in the summer and totally getting used to the uh, you know everything that was new. You know, as you watch the team uh, uh, being assembled throughout the offseason, uh, I guess you watch just like fans do, right? You, you kind of see names being moved here and there, and it's interesting. Of course, adding Jackie to the outfield and Colton. What goes through your mind just uh, from a teammate perspective, from a fan of baseball perspective, when moves like that are made? Uh, they're two really good players. I and mean, they've, they've both had pretty good track records in the major leagues. And 
uh, proven players that have played on winning teams and understand what it's about, and we're really excited to have them. I, mean, I think in spring training you could see uh, how much they're already going to help us. Um, you know, Jackie was a little banged up after the first few games, but he's back and, and feeling good, and, um, you know, his his ability on defense is incredible. And same with Colton, and I think you've been able to see the, the impact already in not even regular season games, but just how it's going to play out. Um, from what we saw in spring training. You kind of swap Lorenzo for Brawny, right? And just kind of one goes out, one comes in. Nice to have Lorenzo back, too. Yeah, it's good to have Locaine back. Uh, I think we all missed him last year, just his energy and, and what he brings to our team. And he's a great guy, great teammate. And uh, I think when we all came here this year or came to spring training, uh, we were all excited to, to see him again and, and have him back. So uh, we're happy he's healthy and, and um, you know, good to see him out there. Yeah, I keep expecting uh, Ryan to be a, a bat phone call away and maybe he <laughs> pops in at some point. Uh, there is a different dynamic, though, right, with one, out one of your close friends in the clubhouse? Uh, I mean, it's it's a good feel. I mean, our clubhouse has been, has been great. Um, we have a lot of great guys in there, and uh, it's part of the sport. You know, guys get traded, guys retire, guys sign with different teams, and, you know, every year is a new team, and... Uh, obviously, Bronny's been a part of the Brewers organization for a really long time, but you know it's something that you you can't really dwell on. You know he's not coming back through the door, so um, I think we've had had great guys and guys have stepped up, and we had a great vibe in spring training, and and you know we're looking forward to going out and seeing what we can do. And if something happens with Ryan later on down the year, then gladly welcome him back and take it in stride. Sure. Fans back in the stands. You'll have it for opening day. You experienced it during spring training. Is that a big deal? Yeah, it's a really big deal. Uh, I think we all missed it last year and realized how much fans create the atmosphere and make the games exciting and fun and interesting. And you know, we're starting with 25, and hopefully by the end of the year we get to to normal crowds and normal stadiums. And I think everybody's excited for that and envisioning that. And um, hopefully it becomes a reality. But we're definitely excited. Uh, in game, Christian, are you able to do things this year that you weren't able to do last year? Video stuff, cage work. I know some guys take swings while the game is going on. Do you know about that kind of stuff yet? Uh, yeah, I think everything's back to what we're usually allowed to have. Um, we weren't allowed to have in game video, but that, that last year, but this year I think you do have it, uh, which doesn't really matter for me because I never, I'm not a big in game video guy anyway, but. Um, there's that. We were able to hit in the cage and everything last year, too, uh, if you wanted to in between games. But when you're playing, you don't really do that. It's more if you're DHing or um, getting ready for a pinch hit or something. But, uh, you know, like I said, we're, we're just taking small steps towards getting back to the normal, regular routine. Um, it's just a wild year all around, not even counting baseball. But, yeah, baseball-wise, we just played the Central. We played the same teams over and over again for two months, and that was it. And we played the Dodgers in one playoff series, and it was over. So, um you know, we're getting back to the regular schedule, regular uh, playing all the National League teams. And um, our interleague is the Central again this year, so we'll do that the same. But uh, for the most part, it's going to be normal year.